Bonjour, mes amis, and welcome to the Tongue Tied for the Love Languages podcast. I'm Tyler, and together we're going to share the journey of language learning. Stick around. So, today I want to talk about something that I think is um, not talked about very much, because, frankly, most of the language learning community online, uh, maybe I shouldn't say most, most of the people that I see in the language learning community online are um, young, single people, and I think something that I want to talk about today is how to do language learning as uh, someone who has kids, as a parent. Can you include your kids in your language learning? Should you? Should you just, you know, what if what if your kid isn't into languages? You know, stuff like that. I remember a couple years ago, there was this big thing on Twitter where people were saying, if you speak a second language and you don't make your kid, if you don't raise your kid bilingual in that second language, then you know, you're bad, you're, you should go to jail, you should have your language card revoked, um, things like that. And I remember feeling odd about that, because, you know, for, well, for one thing, a lot of the people that were saying this were not parents, and so they were just looking forward to, like, if I were a parent, I would share my love of languages to my child and and I feel that way too I want to share my love of languages and you know all of the things that I love a lot with my child that's amazing you know but given that I was a parent at the time there are some things about parenthood that that they don't know that they missed and the big one is this. Um, your children, from a pretty, er- pretty early age, you know, six months and above, start to have opinions about certain things. And at first it's simple. Like, so if you try and give me carrots instead of peas, and I see peas, I'm going to spit the p- carrots all over the floor. Or... You know, I like this toy and not that toy. Um, my daughter, Sagan, started to show very strong opinions and um, preferences toward shiny pink things, sparkly things, unicorn-shaped things. She, you know, went very much in the way of the kind of traditional girl opinion model. And we didn't push her that way. We tried very hard to just like keep everything gender neutral, you know. But she she definitely loved the sparkly pink unicorn things pretty early. Your, your children have opinions, and they're not afraid to express them. And um, trying to kind of make a child like something. Um, 
is is really really difficult. <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. Um, so, but there are ways that you can share your love of languages, and I guess this this goes for other passions too, other hobbies, other things that you could be passionate about, just in general. So here's here's the thing. Here's how I feel. That's the way to say it. Here's how I feel. Um, if you take your the thing that you love, if you take your, your language learning, and you um, present it to your child on a nice silver platter and say, look at this thing, isn't it cool? They might say, yeah, that's cool. But then when you sit down and you try and like do it with them, unless you do it the right way, they're going to be like, yeah, I don't like this. The way to get them to love you, and if you, and, and on the other side, if you try and jam it down their throat, you know, they're going to spit, spit it back out at you. Um, so, here's what I suggest. Don't really try and engage them in your passion. Um, and I should say, I should say before we get this started, if your child is really young, you know, if you have, um, you know, if your, your kid is still a little squish, not talking yet, um, well, man, this is, this is a bigger topic than I thought. So, okay, so let me just go general first. Generally, the way that I get my daughter to love the things that I love is I, I don't try and jam them down her throat or even present them to her on a, on a nice pretty silver platter with unicorns and sparkles and things. Um, I just engage in my passions myself in her ambient environment. Um, you know, Sagan is always hearing different languages in her ambient environment. She hears my wife studying French on Duolingo. She hears me studying Norwegian. She hears, she hears us listen to shows in different languages. She herself likes to go into Netflix when she's watching a show and just listen to random language. She'll, she'll be listening to it for like 20 minutes and then finally go, Daddy, what language is this? Um, and the reason that she does that is because languages are, are a passive part of her environment all the time and the reason I do it this way is because that's the way my dad did it my dad was extremely passionate about music my dad had a collection of probably 2,500 CDs when I was a kid and he was just always listening to music and so it was always in my ambient environment, and I would, and and you know, I was a child of the M, the, the era where MTV and VH1 were still actually playing music videos. So, between MTV and VH1 and my dad, there was music constantly in my ambient environment, and as it was a part of my ambient environment, I would start to ask questions about it. Hey, Dad, who sings this song? Dad, what album is this song? Hey, Dad, is this Dire Straits? Oh, are you listening to the Partridge Family again? Like it, it be, because it was a part of my environment. I had to engage with it, and um, and then my dad would start playing games with us. He'd like, 
he'd put in a random CD. He'd tell us to close his, close our eyes, and he and he'd put in a CD that we didn't see. You know, me and my siblings. And then he would pick a random song, and we would have to race to tell him what the song was, who sang it. Um, you know, sometimes you know what album is it on. That was a bonus. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, now, even today, you know, a song will come on that I haven't heard in, you know, 25 years, and I'll be like, I think, I think this is Boston, or, you know, something like that, and then I'll look it up, and, and I'm right, I mean, it's Boston, you know, it's a bad example, but anyway, what I'm saying is, like, if you make your passions a a part, a passive part of, of your child's environment, then they're going to want to engage in, in it because they want to engage with you. So that's how, that's the general idea. Make language learning a part of your, of the ambient environment of your child's life. If, if your kid is really young, you know, let's, let's, let's examine this argument of like, if you have a baby and you are learning a second language and the baby doesn't grow up bilingual, then you're bad. Okay. Um, that's BS. And here's why. Um, so my daughter Sagan is five now. She's in kindergarten. Um, when she was born in 2016, I was learning French. I could... Uh, speak a bit of French. Um, and and so when she was born, I, I wanted to, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if she grew up bilingual? And I would try and speak to her in French, like, as much as I could, but I very quickly realized that there is a very specific set of vocabulary that parents use that, quite honestly, they learn from their parents that I didn't have, you know. If you want to raise a bilingual child from the start, so you need to learn how to say things like, you know, who's got a messy diaper, and you know, what's this? Oh, it's an owl, and oh, the owl got your nose, and like, you, there, there's this, when, when you're around an infant, there's this running vocabulary of narration that happens just naturally. You do it naturally um, if you're around an infant for any amount of time. You start to narrate what you're doing. And if you can't do that in your target language, just without a baby nearby, then it's going to be really hard for you to help that child develop the language centers of their brain in that way. This is just my opinion. I'm not a linguist. I'm not a pediatrician or a speech language pathologist. This is just my experience from my daughter. I could not have enough narration in French for her to have picked it up naturally as a baby. You know, in, in English, I can do it because that's my native tongue, but you know, you, like, when you before you're a parent you don't realize how much talking you do to a baby who cannot talk back it's constant you know 
who's got ten fingers? You've got ten fingers. You know, which finger is the biggest? It's this one. Ooh, now I've got your little finger. And you're, you're always talking. And if you can't do that in your, in your target language, you have to... You have to come up with a different strategy. Now there are things you can do. You know, I I was looking. We were looking through videos from when Sagan was very very young, and there was a video that I took one day where I was feeding her some yogurt or something. And and I I said to her, "C'est bon," and which means you know, is it good? And she responded, "We oui, like naturally." You know, so there was some French encoding going on there back then. But if you're not going to, uh, if you're not going to engage with your child in your target language, you know, 50% of the time or more or all the time or, you know, whatever, let's put it this way, language encoding in infants is simultaneously complex and simple you know on one hand like if you only speak to your baby in French or whatever your target language is you know that's what they're going to be encoding if you do it 50% of the time you know I don't I don't even know how it works I'd have to look up research on that. but you know there are other people who might be knowledgeable on that but I I think Unless you have a very high competency in your target language and you know the language of parenting in that language, it's going to be really hard to like bring up an infant being bilingual as a parent who is maybe or maybe not bilingual and is learning the language. You know, The way that I think about it now... Like, there are things that Sagan learned. Like, it's, it's amazing. So, one thing that Sagan can do that I don't think other kids can do, because I raised her, you know, constantly hearing these languages, is that she can make up words that are nonsense, but they sound like French or Norwegian. One time she came up to me and she said, Daddy, do you know how to say hello in French? And I said, yes, it's bonjour. And she said, no, you're wrong. It's je crois. And that, I mean, that does maybe mean something. It means like, I, what, <laughs> or something like that. But it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything. But the way that she said it, it's an, it was a nonsense word. A nonsense word that sounded like French. So she can do that with Norwegian nonsense words and French nonsense words. And those are the kind of language um, instincts or reflexes that you that you can teach a child just with having the languages ambient in their environment. Um, so, this kind of comes back to, um, to goals, which I talked about in, in the last episode. Is the goal of 
you know, should I have a goal of I'm going to raise my child to be bilingual in French and English as, as a language learner? If you, you know, if you are bilingual yourself and can speak equally well in French and English or whatever languages, you know, go for it. Because research does show that, that bilingual children do have advantages over children who are monolingual. But I would argue that making a goal of, I want my child to be bilingual in French and English, and then that's on me to do, is probably not a realistic or good goal. Because, you know, you may or may not have the tool set to do it. And B, like, you may have a kid who just doesn't like languages, who doesn't think they're interesting, you know? They, like, kids kids have their own preferences and they'll surprise you um you know and if you've got older kids if you've got teenagers um you know i would uh i would engage them in different ways with it you know rather than focus on on other things that you might you know how it's helpful and how it it um, encourages your brain to be strong and and things um if you have teenagers engage with them about why it's awesome what do you love about language learning what do you love about your target language why is mandarin the coolest thing that you've ever learned you know um you know engage with them about the culture you know teenagers are going to connect much more to things that they're already passionate about you know if you've got a kid a teenager who loves anime who loves naruto or pokemon or you know whatever you know well that's you know everybody knows that anime is the gateway drug to studying japanese so you know get on it <laughs> but you know if you've got uh you know if you've got a teenager who loves pop music you know engage them in like hey have you ever listened to k-pop or you know things like that find something that is relevant to teenagers that speak the native language that speak the language that you're studying natively find find the thing that they engage with the native speakers do um you know but also again with teenagers it's just just make it part of their ambient environment who cares if they call you a nerd, you know, you are one, okay, so, um, you know, you're a parent, you, you've officially, uh, you know, once you're the parent of a teenager, you are, you've lost your right to call yourself cool around them, you know, you're just, you're a parent, so just own it. For me, like, language learning as a family, at first it was just me, I was studying French, and then Irish, and then Norwegian, and Icelandic, and stuff, um, my wife wasn't really studying languages. She did she did um, Italian for a little while, but couldn't really keep habit of it. Sagan, you know, it was just in her environment, and she she likes it sometimes, but um, you know, not not in any like habitual kind of way. And then um, the pandemic happened in twenty twenty, and the day that. The day that school shut down in Florida, 
um, my wife was like, well, if we're going to be stuck at home for six months, I might as well study something. <laughs> and she started, uh, she started studying French and Duolingo and, uh, and her streak is still going today. I think she's on like 500 something days and, and every time that she, you know, shows me her phone and says, look at what I did, you know, I, I always think to myself, like, that's how many days it's been since the pandemic. Um, and, and her French is getting good. Like now, now she and I can have small conversations in French. And if we want Sagan to not really know something, like if we're, like if we're planning a surprise, um, we'll talk about it kind of briefly in French. And, but she's picked up on some, <laughs> on some phrases that we use often, like when she's, uh, when Sagan is getting tired and grouchy and just can't cope with anything um Kara and I will look at each other and, and one of us will say like je pense qu'elle est très fatiguée which means I think she's really tired and then it'll be like oui elle est très très fatiguée um and, but like the last time that this happened this was like over the weekend um I said that you know, je pense qu'elle est très fatiguée and Sagan went you're saying that I'm tired. <laughs> so, so she, uh, she picks up on, on phrases that we use often. But, um, but yeah, so that's, um, that's how I feel about learning about how to engage your kids in language learning. Don't force it. Just be cool. Just make it a part of their environment. If it's a part of their environment, then they will want to engage with it because it's there. And they want to engage with you, especially the little kids. You know, in, engaging with their parents is, is a, it's a biological necessity for them. They have to do it. So, uh, you know, make it a part of their environment. With older kids, you know, find a way to make it connect to their passions. Maybe, you know, sit through something that you normally wouldn't sit through because they're passionate about it. And, you know, always, anytime that, that someone is um, engaging with you in something that you're passionate, be enthusiastic about it and praise them for showing interest. Um, that's, that's a big thing with kids, you know. I think a lot of times as parents, and this is, this is moving away from language learning and more toward just parenting in general, but, you know, it's my podcast, so whatever, I get to talk, talk about whatever I want. I think too many times as parents, um, there's this tendency, you know, when, when your kid comes up with something that they're really excited about, we look at it and we go, oh, that's really cool. And then we wonder why, you know, when we go to them with something and be like, oh, look at this show that's in French. Like, we're really excited about it. They look at it and go, oh, that's really cool. I think there's this, there's this idea, and I don't remember what it's called. I read it years ago. But there's this idea in, like, relationship theory that every interaction you have with someone is an opportunity, is, is a bid for attention. And the example that they give in this is like, is like a husband and wife are sitting in the living room 
the husband is watching, or the husband is, is reading a newspaper, the wife is watching TV, and the husband goes, oh, honey, look, the Cubs won again, you know, and looks over the newspaper at her, and she goes, oh, I wish that you'd quit playing baseball or whatever, you know, she, she said something snide, that, that's, that, she turned away from him, like, his, his thing about, oh, look, the Cubs won, that was a bid for attention, and she turned away from it, and, um, marriage counselors can predict the success or non-success of a marriage based on the ratio of of instances where there's turning away versus turning toward. Turning toward would have been if the wife would have said, "Oh, really? That's so good. I love. I you know I know that you love the Cubs. I'm glad they're winning." Even something as simple as that, you don't even have to like engage with them as enthusiastically as they do. You just acknowledgement that, you know, I see you're excited and that makes me happy is enough to be a turn toward. You know, this works for kids too. If if your kid comes up and says says, Whoa, mommy, look at this uh, look at this Pokemon I just caught or, you know, look at this Pokemon card or whatever whatever it is that they do, you know. Look at this thing. If you kind of just blandly, you know, you're busy, you're cooking dinner, you're doing whatever, you're doing schoolwork, and you just kind of go, oh, that's cool, and then you turn back to what you're doing, you've kind of turned away from them. And, and you're also teaching them that that's how you react to someone that's excited about something. So then when you come, come at them with something that you're excited about, they're just going to look at it and blandly say, oh, that's cool. So instead, like, change your own personal culture and look at things in that sense of like a bid for attention, do I turn toward or turn away from it? And even if it only takes, even if it breaks your, your workflow, take five seconds and turn to them and look at the thing, actually look at it, and then say, that is so cool. I love that you love that, tell me more. You know, and then the interaction is done and then you can move on. But now they have been edified and they have been turned toward and they love it. And then when you come to them with something that's exciting, you know, look at this show, look at this book that I found in French, let's read it together. Then they know that they should go, oh, wow, a book in French? Cool, let's read it together. I really like the pictures. And, uh, you know, that's not how kids talk, but you get my meaning. Like, um. If you want your, your kids to be excited about what you're excited about, then be excited about what they're excited about. Make your family culture a culture that is about uplifting and edifying one another for the, for the hobbies and the passions that we have. Um, you know, um, it's really important, like, like, so, I've always been like a fighter jet nerd because my dad was in the Air Force when I was born. He got out very quickly after I was born, but I've always loved fighter jets because my dad would tell me stories about fighter jets when I was a kid. And, and even to this day, if I see fighter jets, I get really excited. I get like visibly excited. So <clears throat> a couple months ago, we were in Tampa Bay and uh, there were some F-18s flying around on like a, like a training flight or something. And I got really excited. And then I thought about, um, 
I thought about this time when I lived in Idaho where I was sitting in my apartment and I heard this low rumbling and, and I went outside just in time to see a B-17 flying fortress flying wing to wing with a P-51 Mustang which are a World War II bomber and fighter. And so I'm telling this to my wife. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this time in Rexburg, and I'm all excited. And and she listened. She didn't interrupt me. <laughs> and when I was done, she said, she said, I love that you nerd out about that stuff so much, but I have no idea what you said. But I love it. Like, I love, that, I love to see you nerd out about that. And so, like, you don't even have to... It made me feel good. Like, she turned toward my nerd out, even though she had no idea what I was saying, because I was throwing B's and numbers and F's and stuff. Like, like you don't even have to really care about what the other person is excited about. If you engage with them and turn toward them, like, it makes a difference. Um, anyway, so I hope this helps. Like... If your kid does show interest in your your target language, find some kids' books. Find, you know, Dr. Seuss has been translated into a lot of different languages, though I will caution that Dr. Seuss is really hard to read. I have a couple of his books in French, and they are, um, they're a lot. <laughs> you know, just like they are in English, but... Um, you know, other other children's books. You can find kids' books in, in in just about any language you want. You know, invest in getting some of those. Watch, you know, sit down and, and torture yourself through watching Peppa Pig in your target language with your, with your child. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in their life. It shows you, it shows them that you care about what they care about, and it, it, and it shows them that, or it shows you that they care about what you care about. And over time, you know, it'll make a difference. They will, they will grow without even knowing it. Their own passion for language learning, just like I grew my own passion for music without, without even realizing it was being done because my dad never jammed it down my throat. He just had it out. It was just always there. Um, so give it a try. And if you have any questions... You know, shoot me an email, shoot me a tweet, ask me questions. I'm happy to engage with this. Um, I think the the parenting voices within the language learning community are, you know, a very niche part of the community. But I think that they, it's important to talk about, like, the interaction between parenting and language learning. So let's have a dialogue. Thank you for listening. Please follow me and leave a review if you can on your chosen podcast service. You can also follow me on Twitter at TideBlog. Other links and social media are in the show notes. See you next time.